Through the course of that research, we found that the number one threat to Native peoples is our invisibility. Good afternoon. Uh, today I have Crystal Echohawk with me. Crystal is the CEO of Illuminative. Um, she was previously uh, operated Echohawk Consulting. Um, she's worked with the SMSC on a variety of different projects, uh, including the Seeds of Native Health, um, has been a consultant for many things over the years. So um, we're really excited to have Crystal here today. She is doing some really amazing work around narrative change with Illuminative um, based on some research she co-conducted uh, that really shines some light on where we need to focus to really change the narrative in Native communities. Crystal, welcome. Um, if you want to just maybe tell us a, a little bit about yourself and um, kind of briefly how you got to where you are today with Illuminative. Yeah, thank you so much, Rebecca, for having me on today. Um, yeah, so as you mentioned, my name is Crystal Echohawk. I'm a citizen of the Pawnee Nation of Oklahoma and uh, Kickahawkee Band. And I'm founder and executive director of Illuminative. And um, I'm coming to you today from the reservation of the Muscogee Creek Nation, um, which is also known as downtown Tulsa. And, um, you know, Illuminative is a national racial and social justice organization that really works to build power for Native peoples by, you know, amplifying Native voices and stories and issues in order to really advance, you know, justice and equity and self-determination for our peoples and to really, you know, fight against racism um, and discrimination that Native peoples have long faced. Um, and so we really focus on advancing contemporary representation of Native peoples in pop culture, education, the media, and, and all across society. Fantastic. I think um, just because uh, Reclaiming Native Truth, uh, the report that was issued, is kind of the foundation of a lot of work that you're doing, and I know it's the foundation of some of the work we're doing. Uh, that report informed uh, some of what we're doing with Understand Native Minnesota and our K-12 initiative, um, and also, you know, the lived experience of, of being a Native person and growing up on a reservation with a larger community. Um, can you talk a little bit about the report and really what was your um, inspiration to kick that project off? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, you know, Reclaiming Native Truth is something I founded and in, in, in co-led. And, and really, I, you know, as I, I talk about it, you know, it's the largest public opinion uh, research project ever done um, about Native peoples and by Native peoples for Native peoples. And the Shakopee Middlewakanton Sioux community was one of our very first investors in that work. And it was a total of a $3.3 million research project. Um, and, you know, it had really never been done before. And I think, you know, when I look back when this sort of genesis of Reclaiming Native Truth, it started back in kind of 2015. And, you know, I've worked my whole life in Indian country. I've worked for my own tribe. I've worked for a variety of different Native nonprofit organizations, really advocating for particularly our Native youth and families, but, you know, for tribal sovereignty and for the rights of Native peoples. And, you know, I think 
like so many of us in our lives, you know, whether we're advocates, you know, for, for native rights or just every day living, breathing as native people, I think we constantly encounter this sense of like, we feel invisible and not seen, um, you know, not feeling like our issues are taken seriously um, in this country. And that, you know, more often than not, you know, we're reduced to caricatures and stereotypes. And I just think, you know, about 2015, you know, after at the time I was working for Nota Begay, um, who's was at the time the only Native American professional golfer that had been on the PGA Tour. And I remember thinking, you know, Nota was really advocating for the health and wellness of Native youth. And we couldn't get a lot of visibility on that issue. And I thought, man, if someone is famous of Nota, right? Like even when he's using his platform, it's just really seeing that people don't even really think our people exist, right? Beyond sort of these caricatures and just talking to so many other tribal leaders and native advocates that we all shared this. And so, you know, we just really put our minds together and thought, you know, one of the best ways we need to start fighting this is first and foremost with data and research. And, you know, I joined forces with people like Alvin Warren and just a whole host of really smart native peoples to form Reclaiming Native Truth so that we could map, you know, what are the dominant perceptions, you know, that, that non-Native people have about Native Americans? And why do they think those things about us? Why do they perceive us in certain ways? Where, where do those perceptions and ideas come from? And how do they affect the way that we're treated? And not just in everyday life, but the way that we're treated in the courts the way that we're treated in Congress and by you know, the White House and the administrations that are in power, um, the way that we're represented in, in Hollywood and, and the media and even you know, in philanthropy and, and a variety of different sectors. And we wanted to be able to unpack all of this so that we could really begin to understand you know, why, why are we treated this way? Why are we so invisible in society? And, and how, do we, how do we move forward? So it wasn't just about research to understand that. It was really about how do we set strategy to really make a difference? And, you know, through the course of that research, we found that the number one threat to Native peoples is our invisibility. And, you know, it was research done by, you know, for example, Professor Sarah Shears that found that 87% of schools in the country don't teach about Native peoples past 1900. So literally generation after generation of Americans are conditioned to think that, you know, we, we no longer exist, right? And probably the last thing they learned about us might have been in middle school about wounded knee. And that was it. Um, you know, contemporary American, you know, high school students aren't even taught in their government classes about tribal sovereignty, right? When they learn about governments in this country. Um, we also found that, you know, in, for example, in TV and film, our representation is somewhere between zero and 0.04%, right? And what little sort of ekes through in TV and film, again, is usually before, you know, stories about native peoples before 1900. And they're really based in a lot of like harmful stereotypes and red face and just really, you know, depictions of us as alcoholic or sort of broken and, and sort of disappearing, right? Um, and then, you know, we, same thing in the media, we're not covered in the news um, as well. Or even if you Google Native American up until very recently, 95% of those images would come back up pre-1900 and largely of Native men. So we found that that invisibility that's perpetuated by K through 12 education, media, popular culture by government really shapes the way that people think about us 
and the way that they treat us. And we found that, for example, that the majority of federal law, you know, judges, right, you know, judges sitting in the federal courts know little to nothing about tribal sovereignty, right? Members of Congress know very little about tribes. Um, and as we began to pull and understand that we really found that this really impacts the way that they think about us or don't think about us. And, you know, it really began to help us understand that our representation, right, is not just about political correctness. Representation of our, of our people and really fighting for our own authorship of our representation and our contemporary representation is actually cornerstone to our fight to preserve and defend tribal sovereignty, to protect our children, to assert you know, our vision for what is important for our communities, those, those perceptions that are held by the American public and, and really powerful key institutions um, impact us in really dramatic ways. And so that's why we have to fight really hard to you know, disrupt that invisibility, to smash the toxic stereotypes and to really author um, and, and amplify our contemporary voices and issues today. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, I think that that report was really a launch pad for a lot of people in Indian country. And, you know, we know there are people that have been on the ground in their communities, you know, addressing these disruptive narratives, these, you know, incorrect narratives. Um, trying to move the needle. And I think this report really provided that data that people look to, um, to say, you know, where, where can we focus our efforts and has really provided Indian country um, some direction. And we've seen just amazing things happen since that report came out and Illuminative has launched and partnered with several other organizations across Indian country to really amplify our voice and this message. So it's been really incredible. Um, so fast forward to Illuminative, um, you wanna talk about some of you know, your big wins. Um, you know, on, on top of the recognition for um, launching this report. And you know, I think this year you were even named uh, by people as one of the women changing the world. Congratulations, by the way, that's amazing to see our native sisters get that sort of rec recognition. Um, but yeah, so talk a little bit about Illuminative. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, well, I mean, when we published our Reclaiming Native Truth research in 2018, I mean, we worked with more than 200 Native peoples, like stakeholders, all across the two years of, of Reclaiming Native Truth, because we didn't want this just to be an academic research project, right? This is really about how do we make change led by Native peoples. And one of the recommendations that really came out of it is that all of this research, right, which is our weapon, right, um, to really, you know, fight for change for our peoples, it, it it needed a vehicle, right? It needed to be translated into action and, and you know, something to kind of like, to help, you know, be a part of this movement of many movements. Um, and so that's when we founded Illuminative and it was just really informed by a lot of different native artists and native thought leaders and nonprofit leaders and grassroots activists that just, you know, really helped to come together to found Illuminative to really take this research 
and to translate it into action, right? Um, and so, you know, we're gonna celebrate our third birthday in June, which is really hard to believe. Um, and, you know, it's been amazing just to see, you know, just, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful every day that this research is helpful to native peoples everywhere, right? Because it just gives us, you know, sort of another, you know, arrow, right, in, in our arsenal, right, to kind of really advance and, and fight for our people and our representation. And, you know, we're, we're really excited. I mean, I think, you know, as I look at some of the things I, I think we've been able to help achieve is to really just take this research and to put it in the hands of everyday folks, right? And not just Native people, but non-Native people. Because I think a lot of non-Native people, they just are ignorant. They don't understand. I mean, nearly 80% Americans know little to nothing about us. That's what the research showed. And so, you know, I think one of the first big wins is just gradually, you know, starting to do education all over the country and in really influential sectors like Hollywood and the media and other places about why Native representation matters and that why Native stories need to be authored by Native peoples, right? Um, and so I think that's really one important, you know, thing that I'm really proud of our team, right? It's just, I think increasingly we're, we're beginning to have a conversation about, how harmful invisibility is, how harmful red face and, and things like mascots and, and that kind of toxic, harmful, you know, representation and stereotypes are to our children and to our communities. Um, I think we were excited. We certainly, you know, last, last summer, right, when the Washington football team finally changed their name. I mean, Illuminated can't take credit for that. We were happy to be a part of, you know, organizing sort of the social groundswell after the murder of George Floyd, but you know, that is, we stand on the shoulders of, of people like Suzanne Harjo and Amanda Blackhorse and thousands of native people, including, you know, Shakopee has been on the front lines of that mascot fight for a very long time. Um, and so we were, you know, really excited about, you know, being able to be a part of that victory for all native peoples last summer. And then shortly, you know, thereafter, we're excited to see that the Cleveland baseball team, right, made the right decision and, and changed their name. Um, you know, I think other things that we've been excited about are, you know, um, just being a part of helping to mobilize social groundswell behind the, you know, nomination and confirmation of Secretary Deb Holland. Because, you know, as we looked at that, you know, and we organized shoulder to shoulder with so many different Native organizations and groups and tribes across the country. Um, but, you know, that was, that to me is the height of visibility, right? When we could see Secretary Holland step into the role, not only as the first native, you know, cab or, uh, Secretary of Interior, but the first cabinet secretary, native sec cabinet secretary in the United States. Um, and that was so special. That's really shattering sort of the glass ceiling upon glass ceiling for native women, um, but for native peoples as well. And I think, you know, all of these things that we do, you know, we always, we work really hard to be in collaboration and partnership with just different native organizations and, and activists um, across the country to really continuously fight for our contemporary representation and to really, to build power. I mean, it's not just about fighting to just be seen and heard, but it's really fighting for, for building our power, right? Whether that's getting more Native people elected to office, 
to, you know, this week we're going to celebrate um, the, the premiere of one of the first shows ever created on television called Rutherford Falls that was co-created by a Navajo woman, Sierra Ornales Teller, right? And its co-star, Janish Meeting, is Lakota from Cheyenne River, and she stars opposite Ed Helms from The Office. And that's, to date, the largest Native writer's room in history. And so... These are the kinds of issues that we are, you know, really passionately, you know, working on and helping to amplify. Um, and it's 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 really, I think, an exciting time right now for Native peoples. I think we're winning a lot of big victories on on Native representation that belong to all of us. I I agree, and I think when we talk about all this, it it ins it's so inspiring. But I think for me too, as a mom thinking about all these wonderful shining examples that my children now have to look, you know, up to and forward to and see themselves represented and know that, you know, that glass ceiling has been shattered in many ways and that they can really reach for the stars. And I think that's really important for our youth across Indian country. And I think, you know, our youth are really inspiring and have been um, a huge part in leading some of these movements. Um, you know, you as a mom too can probably, you know, I'm sure you, you understand, but you've had the opportunity to, to work with some of the youth and, um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, their passion and how excited they are to be part of all this? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think a driving force for so many of us, like is just being a mom. Right. And when I, when I think about my daughter, I think about my grandchildren, you know, I think about my nieces and nephews, and that's every day why I, I get up and I know that this work on representation is so important. And, and you feel that too, right? We we know that because we didn't, we never saw ourselves growing up, right? Unless it was just a caricature um, and, and somebody sort of making fun of us, right? In some kind of way. And, you know, I think our youth are everything. I mean, I tell you this generation that is coming up is so smart. They're so savvy and there is just such a, a boldness and a fearlessness, right? That I think that they really have that is enough is enough, right? And I think, you know, this is so generational and I, I just, I think so much about our ancestors and, and our grandparents and everything they had to come through, right? But I think now like this generation of our young people, it's just, they're done being erased. They're done being caricatured. Um, and they really are making their voices heard. And I think everything from, you know, they were the, part of the genesis of Standing Rock, right? It was really Native youth that were such a catalyst for that. And when I think about so much of the work happening right now um, all across the country on narrative change and, and really Native representation, our young people are just like, we're done. We are tired of being misrepresented and they really want to center Native voices and their stories. Um, because I, I think too, like our Indian country is so diverse. We're not a monolith, right? We're rapidly changing, you know, as, as Indian country and, and, you know, as our own tribal nations. And I think, you know, I just see our young people really leading the charge and they're so talented. Um, and I'm just, I'm inspired every day by their energy and their work. Yeah. So when I think about, you know, being a a young person and all the, you know, things that inspired me and set me on the path that I'm on. 
Was there something, you know, specific that you can point to in your childhood um, or in your experience that, you know, kind of led you down this path that you're on? You know, I think it was, um, you know, I was really fortunate to grow up in a family where, you know, almost everyone in my family, you know, really was fought for Native rights, right? And in some way was just really working in service to, you know, Indian country to our, you know, our, our Pawnee tribal community or urban, you know, Native community where I grew up, you know, kind of the Denver Boulder area in Colorado. And, you know, my dad was um, an Indian water rights attorney, you know, and, you know, he got to start at the Department of Justice and eventually, you know, went into private practice. My my uncle John is, you know, the executive director of the Native American Rights Fund. And I just, I grew up constantly surrounded by Native attorneys <laughs> all the time in dinner conversation, family gatherings, just that was, that's just how we grew up. That was a way of life. And I remember, um, I think I had to make a book when I was like in third grade and I wrote my first story about modern day warriors. And I had all these pictures of all these all these natives with, with briefcases and just that was, they were my superheroes growing up, you know? Um, and I think really from very early age on, I just knew in some kind of way that I, I wanted to work for and with native peoples, right? To really, to, to, make a, to make a change, to really ensure that we every day wake up and our, you know, our rights, you know, tribal sovereignty are respected, so. Yeah, and I think, you know, talking about tribal sovereignty um, is one of the most important things that we can do so that people understand really, you know, what is the unique position and relationship that people have, that tribal people have with the United States. And I think there's so many misconceptions around that. And, you know, which is why I think it's really important to focus on education and not just education, you know, in a K through 12 system, mm -hmm. but education, you know, all the way up, you know, as you said, when you talk about uh, judges that are sitting on the federal bench and that um, people really understand tribal sovereignty. Um, how do you think Illuminative and the Reclaiming Native Truth Project has really uplifted that and helped maybe um, shine some light on tribal sovereignty and maybe change the way people think when it comes to um, our elected officials, um, our, our judges. And do you think it's having an impact at that level? You know, I, I hope it's starting to have an impact at that level, but I think we have so much work to do, right? Because, you know, that's what the research showed is how profound that erasure has been. Right. And when you look at, for example, um, that the majority of law schools in this country do not offer federal Indian law classes. Right. And when we when we interviewed, you know, it was Pipestem Law that conducted all our political and judicial research for reclaiming Native truth. And I think out of almost all the federal judges and law clerks that they interviewed, the majority had never taken a federal Indian law class. That's terrifying. I mean, when you think about a judge presiding, sorry, over a major like dispute between, you know, in, in business or contract law, and they had never taken that, <laughs> but yet they're rendering decisions. Um, you know, this is this is a huge issue. And this isn't just to those judges. I mean, we're talking about it's a major 
systems issue, right, that we have to address. Um, so I think there's some really long-term investment that needs to happen, right? Just as we think about in that very specific instances of the courts, you know, it should be an absolute requirement of any, any federal judge sitting on, a, on the federal bench that they have that clear, you know, background in federal Indian law. And we, we found, you know, gosh, there were some of the most disturbing things I actually found from a family of truth were direct quotes from federal judges and law clerks that, that called federal Indian law, like, irrational and nonsensical, um, you know, that when tribes talk about, you know, being nations and, and tribal sovereignty, they're just puffing up their chests. And so there's so much more work to be done, right? Because it really just shows this isn't just about a couple bad apples. And we hear that a lot about things. Oh, well, that's just the bad apple over there. This is about systemic racism, right? This is really about white supremacy. And so there is a lot, like while I feel like we're making some differences and it helps to have someone like Secretary Holland in the position that she's in now, or that we now have, I think five members of, you know, native members of Congress, right? And we look at native representation in state houses and other places. There's so much work to do, right? And, but it's not just up to native peoples to do this work. It's, it's about everyone. And I think you know, what's so important, whether we're talking about K through 12 education to, you know, universities to different things, you know, we have to understand that learning about Native peoples and learning about tribal sovereignty, that's a good thing for all Americans, right? Because tribes is first and foremost, we obviously are, are there to take care of our tribal citizens and our people, but the good decisions that our tribes are making benefit all Americans. Like I think how many, you know, instances like with the Keystone XL pipeline, those tribes that stood up on that issue were not only just standing up to protect their own water and, and cultural resources and sacred places, they were also standing up for the drinking water that affected, I believe, over 30 million Americans, right, in major agriculture. And so tribal sovereignty is a good thing. Um, and, and I think we have so much more education to do with, with, with a lot of Americans that I think this is about generational change um, that is going to take all of us kind of pulling together across these different sectors to really, you know, combat, you know, that invisibility, to really combat the systemic racism that plagues our key institutions in this country. Um, but that change is possible, and I think there's we saw a lot of acceleration, particularly in 2020 and coming into this year. Um, and it's there's so much positive things to talk about. But when we look at this, this is really about generational change that's going to take all of us to get it done. Tribes are modern, thriving governments, and Native Americans make important contributions to our state every day. My tribe's campaign, Understand Native Minnesota, is about ensuring that public school students across the state understand Native history, cultures, and governments. Our campaign recently launched a newsletter to help share timely information about Native issues. And like you said, not it, it's definitely a slow process, but I think one of the really encouraging pieces is that out of that research, you know, came the, the want that people want to know more about Native people, um, which is really encouraging because it means when we talk about Indian education for all in states or develop, developing curriculum or working with higher ed institutions to make sure, you know, teacher training includes um, Native history and how to teach that and good resources. 
um, but also opens the door for Hollywood to say, you know what, we can market this, we can sell this. Um, people want to know about modern Native people um, along with historical. So I, I think that really was an eye-opener, again, to have that data in a lot of different sectors to be able to generate some movement. You know, absolutely. And I think that's why we knew, because, you know, nine times out of 10, Native people don't show up in any data, right? So we're sort of a race constantly in data that drives major decisions across every sector in our country. And so that was why it was so important for us to do that research. But, you know, when we went out, over 70% of Americans supported significant changes in K-12 education, you know, in, in curricula to ensure that it reflected teaching not only about Native history, but about contemporary Native people. And that's, that's a huge level of support. And when we went in and we did focus groups with teachers, right, teachers were the, among the first to admit that they knew that that was the one subject that was one of the, you know, like when the, one of the worst they were teaching in the sense that they knew that they were, have, they were not teaching from good materials or accurate materials, right? And they, they knew that. Um, and they, they want to do better. Right, and I think we we find so much support from a lot of educators, right, that that want to do the right thing, and it's like we just have to now really figure out how do we bring the resources to bear, right, to ensure that we can get these sweeping changes, like at the policy level, right, the state level, district level, as we look at policy change, but that that kind of the resources to do that level of curriculum development that can bring together tribes and native educators and, and, and native communities together with, with school districts and schools to really craft meaningful, culturally competent curriculum that is reflective of, of a particular state's reality and relationships with native people, both past, present, and, and, and you know, and looking forward to the future. And that, you know, it's, it's a big undertaking and it's, you know, everything that, you know, you know, Shakopee is doing to kind of help to lead this charge in Minnesota makes it such a model. Um, you know, and we're seeing increasingly that there's a real movement across the, you know, a number of different states in the country to adopt Native American education for all. You know, North Dakota just had sort of, you know, a, a recent victory. There's been some different victories in Washington and California. You know, here in Oklahoma, they're looking at some things. I think Arizona, you know, so there's definitely energy and momentum um, on this issue around K-12 uh, curricula. Do you have any advice for teachers who, you know, they, they want to teach this, but they, you know, sometimes it's a little intimidating, especially when you're teaching, you know, close to Native communities and you have Native students in your classroom and, you know, it's not like teaching about ancient Egyptians that are going to correct you if you, you know, get something wrong or, um, so any sort of advice for our teachers on, you know, how to embrace curriculum, you know, maybe embrace understanding that, that they don't know it all, but, you know, encouraging resources and, and any, anything you can, can give to our, our teachers listening. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the first thing is it's always about intention, right? If you, if you have good intentions, that's, that's number one, that's a great Great start, but I think you know I remember talking to some folks up in Minnesota when I one time we we're up there for a meeting and and talking to the teacher and they're like I'm scared right and you know I think they were a science teacher and I was like well you you teach about you know 
science and space, but you're not a rocket scientist, right? Are you? You're a teacher, you know, like, so, I mean, there's no reason why you can't not teach about Native history, right? But I think, you know, increasingly because of the work that Shakopee's leading, I know you have uh, Wash, Minnesota, I mean, you have all these sort of things that are sort of popping up. There's just unlimited, like, wonderful cultural resources, community resources, right? Um, to really like seek advice from, like, you know, I know that there's more and more curricula and other kinds of things that are being developed. Um, and I think it's just about reaching out and making some of those connections. I think, you know, if you look at the history books that are in sort of circulation, that's not the great place to look, right? But increasingly, there's a lot of online resources, right, to teach about Native history, particularly within your state, in this case, Minnesota, but, you know, other places. Um, you know, there's also just, you know, by going to different organizations like Illuminative or even, you know, NCI, or there's just a variety of different ones that, you know, sometimes there's like really good educational videos and sort of resources. And at Illuminative, we have an entire uh, curricula that we developed online um, curricula that we developed in partnership with the National Indian Education Association. Um, for I think uh, K through sixth grade, right? Online resources um, that were just ways of teaching about native peoples, but in math and science um, and English, I mean, just all kinds of ways that you can really, you don't just have to teach native about native peoples just in a historical context. There's sort of different ways you can kind of bring that into different subjects. And so there's a whole resource base on our website at www.illuminatives.org. Um, we also partnered with an organization called Amplifier last year to do an educational series um, and some um, online educational activities to learn about contemporary Native leaders like Suzanne Schoen Harjo or Joy Harjo, who is the first US, Native American U.S. poet laureate. Uh, so there's a lot of those types of resources. But I think the main thing is to connect, you know, with the Native nonprofit organizations and tribes in your area, you know, if there's opportunities to virtually or have someone in your classroom come in and, and, and share their history, um, I think is a, another really important way to, to do that. Yeah, thank you. Um, I guess you, you've been at this for, for a little while. Um, what are some of the really important lessons you've learned along the way about doing this work about narrative change? You know, I think um, I think having the research, right? And that I could, what was life-changing for me was to understand that this is systemic racism, right? This is about big systems. This isn't just about this particular instance of you know how my daughter was treated at her school by a teacher right or how you know we're left out of this over here or you know not included in that or we see you know some harmful representation in a, a movie like it's a one-off it was really i think first and foremost understanding that this is about big systems about our government right and that we don't have enough native people representing us at every level of, of government outside of our tribal nations uh, in, in education, pop culture, media, and all of that. And I think that really helped to understand sort of the fight. It kind of put the, the fight into perspective that this is really about systemic racism. Um, I think it's also really important that none of us can do this work in isolation or in a vacuum, 
right? This is about a movement of many movements. And the more that we can find ways, not only as Native peoples to come together, right, to really collaborate and think about where we really join in our, our advocacy, right, whether it's all of us pulling together to get Deb Holland, you know, nominated and confirmed um, or to mobilize the Native vote um, or to push for, for policy change at a state level to ensure that, you know, schools are required to teach about Native American education. We have to work together. Um, and so collaboration is really important. I think the other thing that I learned through the research and but also the practical work is that allies are really important. And, you know, we can... We can shout from the rooftops, you know, we can push, you know, really hard in Indian country, but because that erasure is so profound, and especially in this moment when we're so polarized, we need allies to stand shoulder to shoulder with us, right? And I, I really truly believe after I've been out now for a few years, kind of pounding the pavement with this research and talking to people, I think the majority of people out there want to do the right thing, they just don't know better, right? Um, and, and so it's really important that we educate, you know, non-natives, right. That we really bring them on board to be allies and to really, you know, take our lead on these issues, right. And stand shoulder to shoulder with us. And, you know, and I think also the final thing I'll say, just particularly in this moment is that, you know, we really need to be looking at black communities and, you know, people, other people of color, because we are all, we're all, you know, facing, you know, the consequences of systemic racism and white supremacy in this country. And I think the more that we can really turn to one another, and I think there's, you know, I think traditionally there's been divisions sowed between different communities of color in this country. And I think there's so much work that we can do to kind of dispel some of the misinformation and, and stereotypes, you know, and false narratives, I think that even exist between communities of color and the more that we can stand together and support one another. I think those are how, that's how big change happens. And when you look back to all the things that happened in, in 2020 from, you know, the mascot change um, to looking at, you know, the outcome of the election. I mean, it's really when, when, when native peoples, you know, can stand with our allies, um, big things happen and, and big change is possible. Um, and to that point, you know, with that change comes some really hard conversations and, you know, a, a reckoning of sorts. You know, when you think about colonization and some of the genocidal policies that, that came with that to make way for, you know, the settlement of, of America and having to kind of internalize that as, as a nation, a group of people and acknowledge that you know, people of color are in some of the situations they're in with, you know, health disparities and education gaps and stuff like that because of a system that was essentially set up to exclude and kind of keep, keep down. So how do we, you know, move forward and have these hard conversations, but try to not have, you know, maybe hard feelings? Because we want to have these conversations, but we don't want anyone to, you know, feel responsible for what happened in the past, but maybe just acknowledge it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's really hard, it's hard, increasingly harder to have these conversations just because of how divided, you know, polarized this country is. And I, I think that one of the things that the research really showed us um, is that one of the ways, like if you come at somebody hard, right, and you're going to talk at them, 
right? They're going to shut down. None of us are going to hear one another. It doesn't matter where you come from, right? But I think when we can really find ways to center our values, um, and I think we share a lot of values, you know, and, and, you know, for example, you know, when we talked about mascots, right? When we talk about that and, you know, mascots and red face, you know, that causes psychological harm to our children. You know, Dr. Stephanie Freiberg has led that research for more than a decade to really show the harm. And so, you know, I think when we talk to people, for example, we'd say, you know, we all value our children, right? You value your children. We value our children. Children are, are sacred. Children are special. We, we want to protect them and keep them safe from harm. And that, when you can center something on values, right? And it's like, oh, yeah, I, we can agree on that. Then you, there's an opening to start doing some education about what the history is, what, what's happening in the moment, you know, in terms of the harm that's caused in this instance, mascots. And the solution forward is just, you know, let's let's eliminate this, right? Let's ensure that all children, right, are, are safe and, and healthy and happy. And that includes Native American children, right? So here's the solution, right? Here's the call to action that we can all get on board with. And I think when you can go on that journey, when we can find these ways to connect on values, um, when we can help, you know, people to see, you know, particularly white people who, you know, carry with them a lot of white privilege, right? Um, they can't always understand the, the harms and the effects of, of, of racism. And when we can find ways to kind of help them to really step into our shoes, to kind of understand not only what's happened in the past, but the way it affects us today. And that's what's so important is a lot of people will say, well, that happened a long time ago, get over it. What people don't understand is how all of that continues to affect us today through contemporary institutions and policies in the way that we're sort of continuously sort of dehumanized, um, you know, and, and misrepresented because I think it serves a larger agenda sometimes to do that for us, right? Because if, if people really had to reckon with the treatment of Native peoples in this country and, and what continues to go on, um, that gets a little bit uncomfortable, right? But I think we have to, you know, for people to understand that instead of just focusing on call-out culture and cancel culture and all these sort of terms, I think it's finding ways to call people in so that we can have real conversations that can, you know, hopefully lead to positive action for change. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's now a platform too. We have more Native people telling their own stories, more communities interacting with the greater community, um, you know, because the world today, we, we just can't live by arbitrary boundaries and um, whether we like it or not, we're all interconnected. But I think a lot of times we focus on, you know, the disparities across Indian country and Indian communities. But I mean, really when you look around, our communities are doing some really amazing things. And while, you know, I think this pandemic highlights, you know, the contributions that Native people um, have to the larger community, you know, while we've been hit really hard by COVID and Native communities around the country have lost a lot of people, um, they're right there making sure the greater community gets vaccinations along with their community, you know, their, their tribal public health systems have really done a really good job of protecting their communities. Um, and so there's been a lot of collaboration and a lot of really great things going on uh, across Indian country. So I think it's important to, you know, talk about those too um, when we have these conversations and not just focus on, 
um, maybe some of the things we wished were going better. No, it's absolutely true. And I think, you know, on, on the one hand, when, for example, when the pandemic first hit, um, it wasn't covered, right? And you talk about that was sort of the realization that invisibility can actually be a matter of life or death, right? And initially, I think tribes weren't even included in the CARES Act, right? It took a lot of tribes and tribal advocates to fight to make sure that our people were, were included within that. Um, you know, and I think initially during the pandemic, people wanted to focus on, on the devastation at Navajo and, and, oh my gosh, they have no running water. And let's just talk about how broken and poor and pitiful the Navajos are. But the untold story was how much Navajos were organizing. And when the, when the federal government was nowhere to be found, you know, you had grassroots advocates, tribe, like really organizing, working to take care of its people or, I look here in, in Oklahoma and, you know, our vaccination rates are, are relatively high here. We're making a lot of progress, but that's because the tribes have stepped up and opened up mass vaccination sites. And I'm sure it's like that, you know, in Minnesota as well. So, I mean, I think, you know, the more that we can continue to do to amplify those stories, because that's the harm that's been caused over decades and decades and hundreds of years, right, is really that erasure of the true history and stories of the native people, which are not, we're not pitiful and broken. <laughs> we're, we're thriving, we're resilient, we're innovating, you know, and there's just so many remarkable things happening despite the challenges. And I hope, you know, as a country, as we're, as we're in this moment, right, where I, you know, I think maybe hopefully we're starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel. You know, there's, there's an opportunity to really imagine a new norm for our communities and our country, you know, that, that people really understand that, that tribes have an important role at the table, right? As we think about solutions, not only for, for native communities, but for the communities, cities and states that we're, that we're living in. And I think this is a, a really important time. And I just, you know, I hope that we can continue to uplift these stories, right? And find ways to bring people together because we're facing a lot of big struggles and issues in this country and it's gonna take all of us. <laughs> to chart a pathway forward and native peoples have a lot to contribute to that. Yeah, yeah I definitely agree. Um, so what is your, you know, what is your kind of plan or path for Illuminative for the next couple of years? Um, do you have, you know, an end goal? Like what would be the culmination of this work? You know, what would be that outcome that you're hoping to see? <laughs> that we go out of existence, right? <laughs> so much of our, you know, our work is about fighting for the visibility, right, of Native peoples and, and sort of, you know, our ability to author our own stories and, and to really, you know, by changing the, the story, so to speak, right, when we talk about narrative change, narratives are stories. Um, you know, we have the ability to change the future. So, you know, I, that's the long-term vision. I mean, I think, you know, over the next couple of years, you know, we're going to do, we're doing more research in one of our, our big new research projects that we launched in partnership with the University of Michigan, uh, the Center for Native American Youth and the Native Organizers Alliance is called the Indigenous Futures Project. And we launched it actually last year, right in the middle of the pandemic. Um, and it was the largest survey ever done of Native peoples. We had over 6,400 Native peoples from all 50 states representing 401 tribes participate. And we really got to pull them on everything from the impact of COVID 
from health to finances to mental health to really asking them about what are the kind of most urgent priorities they see within their communities to their experiences with racism and discrimination and their visions for the future. And so that was amazing to see just, you know, how many Native peoples participated and to really be able to uplift Native voices about what's most important to us. And so we, we were able to uplift a lot of that research during the 2020 election cycle, um, which was really important. Um, and so we're actually gonna be doing round two of that. Starting this summer, we're gonna field the next survey. Um, and, and we just wanna look at how, again, like reclaiming Native truth, that data was so, I think, helpful um, to Indian country is how the Indigenous Futures Survey can continue to really be of service to tribes and, and Native communities all over the country. So that research piece is, is really big and continuing to do audience research. Like how do we continue to tackle invisibility and to tackle sort of misinformation and stereotypes and move non-Native audiences to really be able to just see us for who we are? as human beings in the 21st century, um, you know, so research is a big part. Uh, we're doing a lot of work in Hollywood um, and really working with most of the major studios to just really, you know, advocate for contemporary Native representation and that increasingly that they just don't hire Native people's consultants, right, in, in one-off, but they're really bringing in Native writers and creators to formulate these stories and that they're Native people being hired behind the camera and in front of the camera, right? And we're really authoring those stories. I think we also do a lot of advocacy um, and really focusing on what we can do within the media to ensure better news coverage um, and accurate news coverage of, of Native issues um, regarding Native people. Um, and just, you know, always, I think one of the big things that we continuously are just always fighting for or, or working on is rapid response communications. And when when we when we see an opportunity to really, you know, it help to advance something positive about native representation, or sometimes it means also standing up when we see something really harmful happening in the media or pop culture or elsewhere, um, to do that. And I would say the the final thing is that we're definitely going to be looking towards the 2022 midterm elections because I think, you know. So much of what we do is around how do we build power for Native peoples? And I think that voting is one very important way that we're gonna build power through representation. And the Native vote really proved itself to be, you know, a, a powerful force in the outcome of the 2020 election. And I think the 2022 midterms are gonna be really important. And I think Native peoples have an opportunity to continue to make our voices heard, to make sure our voices are heard by different politicians and that hopefully we're gonna be electing more and more native people to, uh, to office. Yeah. I think one of the, the barriers to, um, you know, being really effective in the election cycle is um, some of the, the laws on the books um, requiring, you know, IDs and there's different things that uh, Native communities are definitely impacted. You know, as Illuminative, working with communities to organize around issues like that, that don't only affect Native communities, but affect other communities of color also. Yeah, you know, through our Indigenous Features Project, right, we did a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the survey dealt with, with voting rights and access to voting. And so, you know, we found, you know, I think over 30% of Native peoples reported barriers to voting. Uh, a lot of, and particularly Native young people, 
right, um, also face a lot of barriers to voting. So a big part of our work is always using that sort of data as an advocacy point and to really uplift this so that that it's very much seen and heard by the media, by the by the general public, but to also, you know, to a lot of people within the progressive movement, right, who are fighting right now on voting rights. I think oftentimes, even in the progressive wings of, of movements around, you know, things like voting rights, they don't always see us, right? We're not always included in that. So I think anything that we continuously can do to uplift you know, issues around, you know, restrictions on voting or, or, or barriers to voting for our people, but also the power and importance of the Native vote. And I think that was such a big part of the work that we did with, with you know, our Natives Vote 2020 campaign that we did with the Native Organizers Alliance was just to continuously, like, pound away that we Native peoples can no longer be ignored. And that, you know, I think... You know, there's a lot of like misinformation out there that Native peoples don't vote, or we're such a small population that our vote is fairly insignificant. When, you know, we found through our survey, for example, that in the 2018 elections, that 77% of people reported voting. Our people are incredibly active and engaged around voting, and they really pay attention to candidates' platforms on Native issues. I mean, I think a lot of our folks are very sophisticated. Um, but we also have a lot of distrust of the government, you know, and and we, you know, for good reasons, <laughs> right? But we, uh, I think there's a lot of people that do understand the importance of voting. So, you know, anything that we can do to continuously uplift that, um, to to encourage and call in our young people and, and to really begin to hold candidates from all parties, you know, really accountable and making sure that they are hearing our voices. Because as you saw, we determined the outcome of the election in Arizona. The native vote was critical in places like Wisconsin, Nevada, Minnesota. You guys had massive mo native voter, you know, mobilization up there. And so I think, again, that's just our work to continuously amplify the importance of, of, of native peoples having a, a seat at the table and that our voices are heard. Yeah. And I think as important as it is to get, uh, get out the vote, I think it's just as important to um, encourage Native people to run for office, you know, whether it's the school board, your city council, um, state office, or even federal office. And I think we see, you know, Deb Holland and Sharice Davids and Peggy Flanagan and um, some of those who have really shown that, you know what, it is possible for a Native American to get elected and sit in these seats. So what can we do to encourage our people to, you know, put themselves out there and get their names on the ballots? Well, I mean, I think, you know, some of the best uh, marketing for that is Secretary Holland, Congresswoman Davids, Lieutenant Government, Governor Flanagan. I mean, I think when you track and think about when the three of them first won in 2018 and to see that the record number of Native people and particularly Native women running for office has been tracking upwards, like every election cycle is kind of breaking the previous record. Um, and so I think that just by seeing that, it shows us that anything's possible because for so long, I think the message that we constantly felt is that we don't matter. We're, we're invisible, we're, we're less than human. Um, and so I think that that is so inspiring for so many people just to see not only that these women get elected, but they're having major impact and not just major impact on native issues, but on issues that affect their constituencies and in the states that they're serving and on, on a national level. And so, but I think we have to make those investments, right? 
in in supporting you know native people and particularly I, I, I have to say it I'd love to see more native women running for office and so there's a lot of you know different entities like I know advanced native political leadership and others are really starting to spring up to think about how do we continuously support these pathways for native people's running for office and and I love what you mentioned it's not just about running for congress right um but also like the, the amount of impact you can have on your city council, your school board, right? And all these different sort of levels within local communities and states and in your state legislature. I mean, it's, it's so important. And I just get excited because I feel like there's an energy and a momentum um, that's really happening. And, and I love seeing that there's native people that are just on the front lines of, of a lot of big issues that again, not just that don't just affect our people, they affect all Americans. And, um, it's really exciting. Well, and I think to, to point out too, it's, it's not just native people, it's native women, um, <laughs> native women leading the charge out there across the country on so many different issues. And I think that in itself, you know, breaks that stereotype of, um, you know, Native women being homemakers and, you know, not, not out there leading when the reality is, you know, there are a long tradition in many communities of Native women um, really taking the lead. And we see that uh, very front and center right now with all our Native women in these prominent positions, uh, which is absolutely incredible and inspiring for all of us. It, well, and I feel like, I mean, it is, I just feel like this is our time as Native women. And it's so exciting because I, I just, I, you know, I still get emotional. I remember the first time that I saw, you know, uh, Deb, Peggy, and, and Charisse in 2018, I started crying. And I remember there wasn't a dry eye in the room, right? And I still, I still get teared up when I, I see our, our Native women out there. But, you know, I think like you said, Native women have been the backbone and leaders in our communities since time immemorial. And, you know, we have Native women tribal leaders like yourself, right, that are doing amazing things. So it's wonderful, right, that increasingly the world is sort of led onto the secret, you know, that Native women lead. And I, and I just, I really, I get so excited about that. And I think, you know, when we were growing up, we, we didn't get to see that very often now our daughters and our grandchildren, you know, our nieces and nephews, never again will it not be imaginable for them to be seeing, you know, a native person, much less a native woman, you know, leading in a, in a prominent role and in, in making a difference. And so again, I just think it's an exciting, exciting time for our people. I think it is too. And I think it really creates more engagement in our communities. I can tell you, I have never watched so much of a confirmation hearing in my entire life. And I, I think I wasn't the only one, you know, kind of appalled at a little bit of it. I'm like, you can't talk to an auntie that way, you know, right? Because in Native communities, if, you know, you're an auntie to everyone. And so I, I think it's nice to see, um, you know, that, that power around Native women and how we all really come together and, um, you know, have each other's backs in these situations. It's so true. I mean, it is really about having each other's backs. And I think that's what was amazing because, I mean, up until recently, I've never done a lot in politics, right? And when we, we were doing everything we can to support Secretary Hollins, you know, and during her confirmation process, it was so fun, these watch parties, 
right? That were being organized and like it was, it was so many aunties and grandmas and, you know, everybody on like watching, you know, this process. And, and I can remember the night when we watched the final vote come in um, in the Senate and it just was so emotional, um, so emotional and just not a dry eye in the house and what, what that meant for Indian country. And, and just, you know, I love it. You know, Holly Cook-Macaro says it a lot, you know, Secretary Holland being named into that role, just it suddenly made our, our dreams in Indian country get even bigger, right? Um, and that's just what's what's so beautiful. And I just love the ways that I've seen our community come together to celebrate that or the way that we're continuously coming together to, to solve big problems or to really, you know, care for one another. I think, you know, on the other side of that, there was maybe some um, concern that, you know, Native people only have Native issues, um, you know, that, that that's what they're supporting. But I think when you look across the country and at our Native communities, you know, they really have the best interest of, you know, many of our communities say at the next seven generations. And you can't have the next seven generations of just one community in mind. Um, that really impacts everything. So, you know, I, I always like to remind people that um, Native people are really, you know, stewards of, of everybody um, in these situations. So I think when, you know, it, it was it Paul Wellstone that when, when we all do better, we all do better, right? And so I think that's um, how I feel anyway about seeing our Native people in these leadership positions. Well, and I, you know, I think a lot about just like core values, you know, learning about, you know, that, that value, we're all related, right? And, and when we, we kind of have that core value in, in our hearts and minds, we begin to think about others, right? And not just others, to your point, in our own community, but all around us. And I think COVID, has really, really taught us in many ways. We're all related. We all impact each other, right? We're all in this together, um, whether we like it or not sometimes. And, and that, you know, that I do really believe, you know, to your point that Native, Native leaders, Native communities can be, you know, impactful leaders and, and stewards for, for everyone, right? We're, we all care about things like clean water, right? We want safe, places for our communities and our, our children to get good education. And when we think about, you know, the jobs and, and just are really thinking about, we want a, a planet that's going to be here that our, our grandchildren and great-grandchildren beyond can, can really enjoy and, and continue to live on. I mean, I think those are all really important core values to Native peoples, but I think to a lot of other people in this country. So again, I'm, I'm really excited because I think there is something that's beginning to shift in this country now where more and more people are starting to get the opportunity to see everything that Native peoples and tribal nations are, are doing and that we're, you know, we're not the stereotype, <laughs> right? Whether it's romanticized, mystical, magical Indian, or it's we're broken or we're this or that, you know, um, and I'm I'm really hopeful. We got to keep pushing for it, but I think more and more people are. It's like that that starting to open up where people really get to see us more increasingly for who we are. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think we're we're kind of wrapping up on time here, and I I don't want to keep you any longer. But you know, we we both stand on the shoulders of our ancestors who had amazing hopes and dreams for our communities, and 
you know, I hope that uh, we're fulfilling a small part of those hopes and dreams um, by the things we're doing today. What are you, your hopes and dreams, you know, long-term for your community, for Indian country? Um, you know, what do you, what do you hope your children and grandchildren are leading the way on? Just that we're, that we're, we're thriving and continue to be thriving and happy and healthy and, and just that self-determination, right, for our visions for our future and that, you know, our, that our children never have to go another day ever, you know, being harmed or hurt, right, by, by racism and by hate and by ignorance, that that is something of the past and that we can just be our, our full actualized selves, you know, determining, you know, our our future for our communities and and, and doing that, you know, in, in a good way as we think about our non-native relatives, right? Um, I just, I, I really, I, I pray for a time when, you know, we, this division and hate and, and the kind of level of racism, that, they, that all these things will be eliminated. That is, that is my, my greatest hope in that, you know, um, I, I get excited when I think about it won't be such a big deal when we see a native television show or a native film because it'll become normalized, right? And we can just turn on, you know, our TV sets or, you know, flip on Netflix and we'll, We'll be able to see ourselves show up in all kinds of ways or that our kids can go to school and with other children, non-native children and, and feel represented and seen. And, you know, and so it's, it's all of these things I, I hope for and I think they're incredibly um, attainable, right? I think we're gonna be able to do it over time all together. I agree. Well, Crystal, thank you so much for joining us today. We so appreciate it um, and all your words of wisdom and the great work that you're doing. Uh, I look forward to, to seeing what Illuminative is doing. I know I follow all your social media channels and try to stay up to date with everything that's going on. So thank you for your work and all you do to support Indian country. It, it really is making a difference. Well, thank you, and and right back at you for everything that the Shakti Water Midewakan and Sioux community does um, for Native peoples and and for you know everything you're doing in the state of Minnesota. So, and thank you for your support, Illuminative. Thank you for joining me for the Native Minnesota podcast. For more episodes, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also visit our website, understandnativemn.org, to learn more about our campaign's work to improve the Native narrative in Minnesota's public schools.